Welcome to the Darlington Extra podcast channel, working with communities, staff and partners to provide positive outcomes. Welcome to the Darlington Extra podcast. My name is Martin Webster. I'm the Workforce Development Manager in the People Group in Darlington. And today's podcast is going to be an introduction to safeguarding children and young people in Darlington. I'm joined today by Chris Ashford, the multi-agency partnership trainer from the Darlington Safeguarding Partnership. And um, we're going to be doing some very simple questions. Uh, This is a quick introduction to safeguarding. And we'll start with Chris just giving a bit of an introduction. Yeah, so thank you very much, Martin. Um, so just to start with, I suppose the national statutory guidance. So for those that aren't aware, there is national statutory guidance for safeguarding children and the policies and procedures for Darlington, of course, are in line with that statutory guidance. And the statutory guidance is working together to safeguard children 2018. And the link to that guidance is available on the partnership website. Fantastic. Thanks, Chris. So safeguarding children, obviously, we need to know what a child is. So what is the definition of a child? So to define a child, then a child is anyone up to their 18th birthday. And I suppose it's important to stress here at this point, it's irrespective of circumstances. So an older child, um, a child aged 16 plus, as an example, may be living independently. Um, the child may be living in care. And just another example, perhaps um, a child aged 16, 17 may have joined the military. For the purposes of safeguarding arrangements, a child is a child, anyone up to the age of 18. And what about in terms of kind of disabilities and, and other things like that as well, Chris? Is that the same situation? Yeah. In respect of safeguarding children, it is by reason of age. Perhaps when a child turns 18, then we look at those perhaps additional uh, vulnerabilities when deciding whether a child at, at that point who turns 18 is then subject to safeguarding adults arrangements. Thanks. That's really clear. Cheers. What is the definition of safeguarding in respect of children? So when we talk about safeguarding children, we'll break it down into perhaps uh, four areas. Okay, so the first area is protecting um, children from any form of maltreatment. So when we think about maltreatment, we're thinking about the four categories of abuse as defined by working together to safeguard children. So physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect of a child um, or emotional harm. And I think it's important to stress at that point that that, although we're using the term abuse, abuse, that abuse or neglect is not always deliberate. Um, So it is about those interventions to support and and protect them from any form of maltreatment. But moving on from that, it's so much more than that. It's, It's actually preventing, so it's taking action to prevent any impairment to a child's health. And that might be physical health, it might be their mental health, but also taking any action to prevent any impairment to a child's development. And lastly, it's ensuring that children are growing up in circumstances where they are safe and that any care provided is effective care. Ultimately, the reasons for our interventions, the reasons for resolving concerns is to achieve best outcomes for all children. 
But I did stress in there, and, I, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, the majority of work that's undertaken to resolve concerns is actually about support, isn't it? It's about relationships with families. Now, my background's the police service, of course, um, dealing with incidents, um, significant incidents, significant harm to children. But it really is about preventing that, providing that support to prevent that perhaps escalation. It's interesting when you say about the definitions as well in, in terms of those four key areas. I always kind of think of emotional abuse as well, really key, um, because when there's physical abuse and when there's sexual abuse, there's always got to be emotional abuse attached to that as well. It's it's one of those things that sometimes people don't kind of consider when, when they think of abuse, they think of sexual abuse and think of physical abuse, all of that kind of thing. But um, emotional abuse has got to be kind of really recognised and identified as a, a key, key factor for children and people and families. Absolutely, totally agree. And it can be standalone, that emotional abuse. Examples, perhaps the way a child's spoken to, the way a child's treated. But as you, you rightly point out, a consequence of those other forms of abuse, of course, that emotional impact of that physical um, abuse, perhaps sexual abuse, the emotional impact of that neglect at the, the different stages of a child's life. So, yeah, absolutely. And I always think as well of the impact that that has in later life of the child. So when you think of the, any form of abuse, it's going to have an impact on them in later life. And that could be trauma related. It could be struggling to kind of form relationships. It could be struggling with emotions and anger and all of those different types of things that, that we see in, in schools quite often and that we see when we're yeah. working with children and young people as well. And a lot of the time, um, I think, sometimes professionals don't consider looking back over and and considering those root causes to to the impact of the the child and their behavior at the time and the family and what's going on with the family at the time there's there's a lot of digging probably to do in terms of of how we kind of consider that and i think that's why this type of training and the safeguarding training and, and the introductions to things is so important yeah and just introducing another couple of factors there you talked about looking at the journey of the child perhaps at a certain stage we can only do that if every agency every agency whether it be a volunteer or member of staff they're recording their concerns um, so recording it's building up that chronology isn't it building up that journey for the child so if we can if we do have reason to say why are we at this point in life then there's a clear record of that child's journey so it's about recording isn't it recording everything and crucially early intervention and, and i've mentioned it a couple of times already now it's so important isn't it not to just let it drift but actually to intervene at the earliest opportunity to resolve those concerns and that's a really good point and it leads us nicely into the next question so if we do have concerns or if a member of the public a professional if we do have concerns what do we do yeah, so I suppose the first thing we'll talk about, and actually it's moving on perhaps to the next question, is thresholds, isn't it? Um, so people think, you know, people wonder, what's the threshold for me taking action? And when I say taking action, it's about raising a concern, isn't it? It's about recording. It's about perhaps seeking more information yourself. Um, but, but it's about that threshold. And, and ultimately, addressing that now, the threshold is your threshold as an individual, isn't it? Yeah, we all have different 
perhaps experiences in life, different backgrounds, um, different thresholds. But ultimately, if you are concerned, then do something about it. Yeah, record that concern. And then the advice is always speak to your designated safeguarding lead or your designated safeguarding manager, whatever the terminology in the first instance. And their role is then to, well, I'll start that off, actually. Their role is to support you. Yeah, because you're the person with the concern and their role is to support you. But ultimately, decide at that point, what are we concerned about? Factually, what is the information we have? And importantly, do we need to gather more information? Do we need to find out more about what is the concern? Perhaps where has it happened? Who is the potential abuser, possible abuser? Yeah. So gathering information and then ultimately that manager with you, of course, you should be involved in that decision making. You will come to a decision as to how can we resolve this concern? Many options available, but the first one I'm going to speak about is perhaps you yourself as an individual or organization resolving the concern. Absolutely appropriate on occasions. If we think about schools, they will have a number, perhaps maybe daily, weekly, perhaps those lesser concerns, and I talked about early intervention, where they feel as a school, we will record and we will resolve that concern. Yeah. Now, that might involve the school alone. I'm giving an example here of education, but it might involve the school and perhaps a resource that the school has, another agency, a health support. So whatever it is, it can be that more single agency approach. But of course, the next decision may be that actually it's not appropriate or we're not in a position to resolve that concern ourselves as an organization. So we need perhaps to escalate. And when I talk about escalate, what we're talking about is potentially a referral yeah, to children's services in Darlington. So in Darlington, we have what's termed the children's front door. The official title is children's initial advice team. Okay. And there are two contact numbers. The first contact number 01325406252 is for professionals with a new concern. So it may be that lead manager then escalating because it's more complex, it's significant. So we need to involve other agencies and the link there is the children's front door. Not forgetting there is a public number into the children's front door, which is 01325406222. So that may be a decision where we escalate as, a, as an organization to children's services for that multi-agency response, where we're not able alone to resolve those concerns. And I suppose before we finish, we shouldn't forget that there will be occasions where it's wholly appropriate to ring the police straight away. It's a safeguarding response, isn't it? Where there is an immediate risk to that child or children or anyone, yeah, immediate risk. Or where a crime has been disclosed or we believe a crime has happened and we need the police out in the first instance to secure, preserve evidence of that crime. Still a safeguarding response. Thanks, Chris. That's really thorough. Do I need to have concrete evidence of abuse or neglect before I raise a concern as well? Again, I think we're going back to thresholds, aren't we? Absolutely mm. not. 
remember at that point that's the terminology isn't it concern you do not have to carry out a thorough investigation establish that it has or hasn't happened that may be the next part of the the intervention but the fact is the threshold is you act yeah and if it turns out that actually you know the concern perhaps um wasn't warranted that actually it isn't it hasn't happened or isn't happening to that child then no problem yeah i think the crucial message is just act thanks chris and do i need to obtain the consent of the child's parent or carer before i raise a concern it's a question often asked yeah and 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 people concerned perhaps about data protection act um, human rights legislation gdpr yeah can i share information and i suppose that's one of the the crucial points here i suppose if we start with the you as an individual talking to your safeguarding lead or manager then it is not absolutely necessary it's a conversation within your organization isn't it you with another member of staff in this case perhaps a designated safeguarding lead but certainly if a concern is being raised outside of your organization so with children's services or the police then consent from parents carers should always be considered and indeed it's best practice however clear reasons for not seeking consent obvious to some i'm sure is the 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 parents carers in that case are the alleged abusers yeah so consent is best practice but reasons for not seeking consent we go back to risk don't we risk to child or other children risk to any person if i attempt to gain consent would that play would that place anybody at risk or again loss or destruction of evidence of a crime yeah reasons for not seeking that consent so i talked about sharing information but i suppose that we come back to why do we gain consent one yes is for sharing of information but i suppose crucially it's about the provision of support isn't it so if we're saying and that could be us in the first instance having that conversation with parents we have may we may be spoke speaking to them around a particular issue and they've indicated perhaps they're struggling in a certain area they might need support from other agencies then clearly you might be the person that seeks that consent for the support yeah we're not we're not talking about that formal do you consent to are we it's a conversation around you know there is support out there this is perhaps where we could get the support that may involve sharing your information with this service yeah but would you accept that support so if we break that down consent from parents and carers perhaps is always best practice We've seen the reasons for not seeking consent, but ultimately think about relationships, that relational practice, and the best way that we can support families is by engaging with that family, having that relationship, and that would include those conversations about consent. So hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, that's really clear, thank you. Um, What are the barriers to effective safeguarding for children at risk of abuse or neglect? Yeah, unfortunately, even today, yeah, um, there's evidence, isn't there, continued evidence of those 
perhaps mistakes, those misunderstandings and those barriers. And and, and we've already mentioned some, some of them. Effective safeguarding. So what do we need for effective safeguarding? We need to intervene at the earliest opportunity. Uh, and there's still evidence of that lag, perhaps people identifying something, maybe even recording record it. And, and many serious case reviews published even very recently still there is evidence of professionals with concerns who don't share those concerns yeah they share them too slowly so ultimately it's acting at the earliest opportunity um voice of the child and it may be that people perhaps are reluctant to or or don't want to speak to the child for whatever reason but it's so important isn't it to speak to that child yeah find out from the child themselves if they can communicate that information so you know, from the very simplest example, if there's a bruise, we know children have bumps, bruises, scrapes. But have those conversations. If there's a bruise, perhaps you're, you're concerned, remember that threshold, and have a conversation with the child, a nice open question. You know, oh, that looks nasty, what's happened there? Yeah, just one example. So it's speaking to the child, finding that information out from the child, their voice, but also their voice if we're thinking about older children also, on what they would like to happen, the impact for them. So have those conversations with those children, record those conversations. Um, another thing I'd like to highlight actually is around professional challenge. It's so important. We talk about barriers to effective safeguarding and often you will hear individuals, professionals, perhaps voicing concerns about outcomes about responses and it's, it's knowing that we should all challenge and that's the terminology professional challenge but ultimately in the first instance it's a conversation isn't it it's a conversation who's perhaps making that decision to say what's the background to that decision making that outcome why have we come to that conclusion and if we're uncomfortable then that challenge can be escalated, of course. And I would suggest that if we're escalating challenge in the first instance, it should be through our designated safeguarding lead for those to officially carry out that professional challenge. Again, there is there is guidance provided by the partnership, yeah, the professional challenge guidance, and that can be accessed on the, the Darlington Partnership website alongside the other issues. So just to sum up then, failing to act but or equally acting far too slowly yeah voice of the child when we raise concerns we need to reassess don't we yes we've raised a concern but what's the outcome have have things improved for the child have we resolved those issues yeah it's about perhaps not sharing information so that information sharing so important with other agencies it's about recording that chronology we talked about recording every incident and ultimately where we are uncomfortable unhappy with a response or an outcome it's about challenging those decisions Thanks, Chris. I've, you've covered loads of things that I was just busy jotting down there. Excellent. That's good to know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mentioned serious case reviews and some of the kind of key learning areas that yeah. we as a as an organisation, but I guess we as a, a country will learn from those as well. Some of the things that you mentioned already were around lack of information sharing, communication, um, the recording, the professional challenge. I just wanted to kind of ask you about two other areas. The first one was silo working and the second one was disguised compliance. Could you kind of outline what 
they kind of mean that silo working where people I suppose are, are just very tunnel vision and they just see their own job and their own kind of way of working and what that looks like in practice and then perhaps what we mean by disguise compliance yeah and, and and I suppose I've covered a lot of that but if we think about that silo working in the first instance it, it is about not sharing isn't it it's about information sharing it's about and if we think of the t- the national statutory guidance working together to safeguard children yeah what do we have in Darlington as in other local authorities yes we have children's services that children's front door that first point of contact but it is a multi-agency safeguarding hub so within that organize you know within the children's services there we're talking about we've got bernardo's representation education health police representation we've got switch workers who who provide support specifically around drugs alcohol we've got domestic abuse workers so what we're talking about is opposite to what we're talking about silo working we're saying it's about multi-agency responses appropriate professionals workers for those concerns yeah and not saying we as you pointed out silo is saying this is our problem this is for us to deal with this is for us to resolve Uh, and it's covered there with information sharing isn't it challenge it's so important and your other point disguised again theme of um, serious case reviews lessons learned one of those themes is often disguised compliance. And I think that's really about us as individuals, us as professionals who support, who work with children. It's about professional curiosity, isn't it? It's about saying, yeah, we're being told this, but actually is there evidence of this? Yeah, it may be parents are saying we do A, B, C, but is there evidence of that for the child? It really is about the child, isn't it? So these are again potential barriers aren't they that we may be willing to accept for whatever reason yeah word of parents word of carers but it's about professional curiosity and the right level of challenge within that family group as well isn't it the right level of challenge great thanks chris um and i think when you mentioned the silo working and other bits and pieces from a Darlington perspective, because Darlington is a small local authority, there is that opportunity for us all to work together and know each other. And the partnerships are really good in Darlington. So that's great. Um, I think we could probably chat about kind of children's safeguarding um, and training all day long. But are there any final key messages that you wanted to kind of um, say before we wrap up the podcast? No, absolutely. I think that the real key message is this is an introduction, isn't it? This is an introduction to children's safeguarding in Darlington. We've looked at some of the key factors. What is safeguarding? What is a child? Yeah. What do I do? And it's just remembering those key factors. But this is a starter, isn't it, for 10? So I would encourage everybody, one, to access either the, the Darlington Partnership website or the workforce development website to see what else is out there whether whether we're talking about information or training it's backing up this podcast isn't it doing more than that there are workbooks available there are other podcasts that we've produced on specialist specific areas so please access them build up your own um, knowledge build that knowledge base up but ultimately I suppose the biggest message of all is it's our threshold. If we are concerned, then record and act. Do something about your concern. 
there and then. And in the first instance, the guidance says where we can speak to our designated safeguarding lead. Okay. That's great, Chris. That's great. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. And I know being on the training courses with you in the past, um, you've always kind of said as well at the end of them that safeguarding is everyone's responsibility. So we've Absolutely. all got to kind of take that on board. Yeah. Um, thank you very much. Much appreciated. Yeah. And um, join us again for another podcast on the Darlington Extra podcast channel. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to the Darlington Extra podcast on our Darlington Extra podcast channel. For more great content, make sure you subscribe now.